Welcome to the podcast of Grace Covenant Church, where we are transformed by God's grace, connected through relationships, and committed to service. Please have a seat. Good morning, Grace. Good things happen today. I hope you've been enjoying and um, way more than enjoying. I hope uh, you've been transformed by our time together in the Gospel of Mark. I have been. The reason I say that is I'm honestly a little surprised at how much has happened in my soul as a result of our time together. I think uh, I'm, I'm seeing the beauty of Christ in different ways, and I'm seeing the greatness in him, and it's making my spirit want, you know, the spirit of God to change me. And, and I think it's because when, in Mark's uh, account of the life of Jesus, he adds, like the other uh, men don't, the emotions more emotions than anyone else, the emotions of the people, but also the emotions of Jesus. And, and inside, maybe behind those emotions are the motives of what, what causes Jesus to do what he does. And so, I, again, I'm finding myself, finding myself just loving him in a deeper way, and that, wants, that has its consequences, right? Well, anyway, the case in point, we're going to look at a story today that in the other Gospels don't really bring out some of the emotions and motives quite like this one does. I'd like you to pay attention to that. It's it's um, one of the saddest stories in the human experience. You, some of you know this story and almost maybe too well, and I hope that uh, we can, our prayer this morning was that you would, you would hear it for the first time with open and tender hearts because this story has the potential of absolutely revolutionizing and, and, and restructuring and rather setting upright on right side up your, your, your values and your life. This, this story has that potential that once we see this man for who he is and how we're very much like this man, we are this man. And what he needs to learn, we need to learn. All right? So this is the story found in Mark chapter 10. It starts in verse 17 where Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He has an appointment with a cross. And it says that a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And then Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, uh, you don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness, don't defraud people, honor your father and mother. And the man said, look, I, I, teacher, I've, I've kept all of these even since my youth. Here it comes. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, okay, you lack one thing. Go sell all, of your, all that you have, give it to the poor, and you'll have treasures in heaven, and then come follow me. And here's how I responded. Disheartened by this saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had many possessions. I told you, it's a tragic story. It starts off sad with him running and needing help, and it ends even worse still. Grief and disheartened, it says. How does, how does this happen? How does somebody walk away from an invitation like this to Jesus Christ? Well, let's turn and find out a little bit more about this man. <clears throat> According to this gospel, it says that he had many possessions. He's a rich man. The other two gospels that tell the story say that he was a young man and that he was, had some kind of power or authority like, like a governor or something. And so it's very common to call this person the rich young ruler because he was rich, he was young, and he was a ruler. And, but he was not just that. He was not just successful. We'll just package that up and say he was a successful person, but he wasn't just that. He was a very moral person. He said, look, in all of my dealings since a youth, I've, I've, done, I've been honorable and I've been uh, fearing God in the way I'm dealing with my fellow man. I, I, and I've been consistent. 
right, my whole adult life. And Jesus does not step in and say, you know, you're a liar, right? Jesus looks at him, I go, okay. So he's a, he's a very moral man, and, and once Jesus sees this in him that, and, and looks at him, he's right on his knee, and, he's, and he looks at him in love and says, okay, here's, here's what you're going to need to do then. And he, he says, you'll need to sell all your possessions and give to the poor, and you'll have treasures in heaven and follow me. And that's, this story just turns so tragic, he, he can't do it. He can't do it. And, and the, the, the reason he can't do it is because he has two very drastic and powerful problems or, or illnesses. He's successful and he's moral. Those are his problems. Those don't sound like problems. Those sound like very good things. Those are very good things. Every bad thing is a good thing that has been contaminated. You can't find a bad thing or an evil thing that's been created. Everything that's bad or evil is a good thing that God gave us and then was ruined, right? It's, it's, been, it's been sin-filled. And, I'll, and, and you need to know this to understand the story. The greater the goodness, the greater the potential for badness, okay? The, the better it is, the worse it can be. Would you rather be locked in a room with a 600-pound Bengal tiger that's rabid or maybe a, a rabid hamster. Okay, you'd rather be in a room with a rabid hamster because of the potential of danger and destruction that you can experience. And, and these, these two things that he has, these are two very good things. He's successful and, and he's moral. And success can easily turn into an idol and being moral can easily be thought of as a cause for eternal salvation instead of an effect of being saved. Success is given to us by God. I mean, that's how it all started. Jesus, or I'm sorry, God gives the garden to Adam and says, look, you know, be successful and cultivate the garden and have success in your endeavors. And he, we pray for each other's success. I pray that you would be successful, that you would be wealthy and young and powerful. Why not? God likes those things but they can turn ugly, right? They can be contaminated. And, and his morality, well, I think it's fair to say God invented morality. Uh, it's, the, it's the code, right? It's the owner's manual for our souls. And so these are all good things. But the greater the good, the greater the harm. And that's where he gets into trouble. And so Jesus is going to look at these two problems, these two illnesses, and he's going to solve each one of them. And today we'll just look at how he answers those, those problems that he might have that maybe you and I have as well. First one is success. First one is success. And, and it's primarily we'll focus on his financial success because the passage says that he had many things. Know this, and, and think, think about the, the strategy behind it. Jesus talks more about fearing the powerful, the powerful potential of accumulating wealth, okay, the love of money, he talks more about the love of money than he does heaven or hell. I mean, if you if made a list of every sentence that he spoke on and did in, in topical order, this is going to be right up there in the top two. He's going to talk about the dangers of possessions or the desire for possessions because it can it, it, it has it's the Bengal tiger in the room that can own us, that can divine us, that can control us, that can we 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 can start letting it identify us. That's how, that's my name. That's who I am. I'm this. So let me just show you real quickly because we'll see it in his life. There's four symptoms of, of an idol. 
There's four ways of maybe negotiating whether or not you have an idol in your life. I want to look at those. And sometimes even an easier way to look at it is an idol is an addiction. And so we know some things, idols seem so old, you know, thousands of years ago. Addictions are pretty temp- contemporary. So these idols are addictions, and these are four attributes of an addiction, four attributes of an idol in your life. And the first one is priority. You Financial gain, it, see, here's the thing. It doesn't matter if you have money or you're broke, right? It's whether you love it. And money and possessions, is, if it's, it's an idol, if it's a priority in your life, it's, it's your goal, it's how you keep score, it's when you feel like you have some kind of goal out there, and that's when you arrive, and it's the front part of what's motivating you. That's how you know if it's an addiction. That's how you know if it's an idol. The second one is control. If, if, if it's controlling your calendar and your choices, and the way you live this acquisition or the love of money, then it's gone past what God made it to be, and it's gone into this contaminated corruption that has potential to ruin your soul. Look, think of, think of in the context of control, think of uh, finances, think of, of money as being like a really big dog. I'm, I'm talking Great Dane, St. Bernard. Do you know people that have a really big dog? So, and when I go to people's houses that have big dogs and they let them inside, I find it very interesting that big dogs, they, they can, they're efficient. They can walk in straight lines because they just bump by furniture and the furniture moves. You know, they're just going to go over and, you know, I want food. Okay, yeah, we're going to get you food. They don't, have you noticed? And then people. Oh, people. You know, just knock your knee out from under. That's, that's a big dog. That's what money is. It, it if, and the thing is, the potential of a big dog, it can protect you from the things that can hurt you, or it can become the very thing that's going to hurt you. And so Jesus is saying, listen, this, this money is a big dog, and you've got to make sure it doesn't control you. You have to make sure it's not making your choices or your priorities or who you're, how it's affecting your schedule, who you're going to choose to be your friend, Right? Jesus is taught, when he talks about money, he says, look, you can own money. You can't let money own it, you. You can, you, you know, are you going to train the dog or is the dog going to train you? Have you ever seen people sometimes, again, this is the difference between people that own a dog and the dog owns them. You ever seen people walk a big dog? Sometimes the big dog's walking the people. And that's why Jesus talks so much about it, because there's this fear of the, the easy potential of it becoming an idol, because it can control you. But another, again, a, a symptom of an addiction, an idol, is it's, it's constantly in your imagination. It captivates your imagination. If you t- know people that have addictions, where, wherever they are, they're thinking about the next time they get to. And so it's this next possession, it's this next acquisition, it's this next thing. Here are two emotions to listen for when they're rambling around in your head. Okay, one of them is envy, and that is, that's the emotion that comes up in your imagination when you see that somebody else has something and you want that something. If you're, if you're an envious person, it means it's captivating your imagination, you're, you're getting into worshiping this thing. Greed is very similar, but a little bit different. Greed is when you have the stuff and you can't let it go. You have the bank account or the car, whatever it is, and you can't, you can't lend it, you can't give it, you, can't, you just got to hold on to it because, uh, huh? Because you can't let go of an idol. So the fourth thing, last thing, and this is, this is deeper and more complicated, you, maybe you can muse on this later, but it, uh, it, 
if, if wealth or the hope of wealth causes you to be independent of God or other people, makes you become independent of God or other people. This is when you know you're addicted because um, let me just explain why that could be true. St. Augustine said that the definition of faith is being dependent on God and other people. Ergo, the definition of sin is being independent of God and other people, doing whatever you want and being without. And the, the problem with, with wealth is, and the hope of wealth and the love of wealth is you can be independent of God. If you have a lot of money in a lot of other people's lives that don't have these assets, they're going to trust God for something. You're going to just throw money at it, man. Just, just th- write a check. And in this culture, people will hop to it when you do. And next thing you know, you think you're in control. You're independent of God. The other thing that happens as well is you become independent of other people. You don't, um, let me watch, just think about this. This, I think about it way too much. If you were independently wealthy, would you work? How many jobs would you have and how long would you stay? Because I can tell you there have been more than a few times that if I had independent wealth, you know, mailbox income, I'd just say, I don't need this. I don't need you. I don't need you telling me that I'm wrong. I don't need conflict. I don't need, well, people. I don't need people. And I've got to tell you, the reason I'm here today after 26 or 7 years is because I needed to make a house payment a couple of times. And so God made me be dependent upon him and dependent on other people and say I was wrong that one time. He may, I was that one time I was wrong. Richard Baxter puts it this way. I love this. Humility and self-denial are always necessary for the salvation of the human soul, but these are more difficult in the life of a successful person. What do you need for salvation? Humility and self-denial. He is not exalting poverty. He's just saying when you have a lot of stuff, it's harder to be humble and it's harder to deny yourself. Jesus knows this to be true. He's saying, be careful. This wealth and this love of wealth has tremendous power, has tremendous capability of causing you to become an idol worshiper. It becomes way too important in your life. And so um, it's so spiritually dangerous that it would define you and it would corrupt you that the Bible, God in the Bible, puts out a solution for all of us. He sees this early on. I mean, in the early, some of the earliest writings in the Old Testament, and it bleeds into the New Testament. He's saying, look, here's what you do. Here's how you keep this thing under control. Tithing. Tithing is when you give 10% of your income, in our case would be to the local church, to poor or charity, that sort of thing. And so he builds this discipline into the law, and then, and then it gets grand in the New Testament because we're not... We're not limited to that 10%, but he just says, you know, have at it now. But the, the, the point of it is, is the point of the regular giving, see, that's the whole thing. It's just this regular giving of a certain percentage, and, and that's what tithe means 10%. It keeps the dog trained. It keeps it from getting too much power and control. It says, sit, stay, stay there. And when you do this on a regular basis, it causes a person's soul to become disciplined in that area. It says, you don't own me, I own you. Oh, do you? Yeah, watch me. I'm going to give you away. Oh, uh. See, regular giving is both a diagnostic tool to see if you're falling into 
um, idolatry or addiction, but it's also the part of the cure. Listen, how regular giving is a diagnostic tool and part of the cure. For example, if you are uh, into a lot of debt for, you know, for various reasons, there's some reasons to do that, but if for it, you're, you're in over your head, okay? If you're spending more than you make, right, or you're barely making ends meet for reasons outside of your control, okay, what that means is, what it probably means is that you have the emotion of envy in your imagination. And so you keep making purchases that you shouldn't make because you're doing what this little God is telling you to do, right? And on the other hand, if that's what happens if you can't give regularly. If you won't give regularly, it means you probably have the assets, but you won't let them go because they're yours. That's greed. The emotion that's running around inside of your imagination is, I've got to hold on to this. This is my trust and my security. That's a place that God's supposed to hold. And now money's done this. And so, again, you can see how this, this 10% is a, a way of figuring out whether you have a problem, and it's also part of the problem, so, uh, regular, it's part of the solving the problem as well. The, regular giving teaches the dog, the big dog, who's in charge. It trains the big dog. It says, you're in charge. This is a huge problem in our country and our, in our culture. And at, at our church, we really want everyone to have the freedom right, from this slavery. So we regularly offer financial counseling. It's, there's so many questions that probably might be running around in your head, like how do I make this happen in my life? How do I get this, deep, this, this idol off my back? So the first week in December on Saturday, we have some people that are trained in this. There's nothing in it for them. If you would spend a half a day at that church here, we would help you manage your finances and teach that dog to heal. Tell it what to do. Tell it when to do it. All right? That's what God sets up early and so that we can curtail the potential of becoming addicted. In this man's case, it's different. Oh, you bet this man, he's a righteous man. He's a good man. He's a good Jewish man. He's given at least 10% of his regular income to the synagogue. He's doing well there. It would have been an easy thing to bring up. But he needs radical surgery. And by radical, I mean we're going to need a heart transplant, a whole start over. And so that's, when, that's why Jesus says, okay, here's what you need to do. I'm looking at you, and I'm seeing the trouble that you have. Two of you, you have two big problems, and this one is idol worship. Here's what I want. Liquidate. Liquidate all your assets. Give them to the poor. Okay? Then you'll have treasures in heaven, and you follow me. I need, I, you say, what must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus says, I looks at him and loves him and says, I, I, have, to, I have to save you from yourself. You, your values are the problem here, and you've, you've, you need help desperately. And what you need is to be completely re-identified as mine. You need to have your identity. You need to lose everything, and you need to know this about yourself. You have me. And when you have me, just as Jesus speaking, when you have me, you have all that you'll need. That's what he's trying to do. He's trying to, he's trying to change his whole way of thinking about who he is. And so Jesus is saying this. Listen, just imagine. Okay, look. Look, imagine yourself no longer wealthy, right? No longer young and no longer powerful. Just imagine what that's like. Yeah, I'd just like be like everybody else or no one else. And I'll, yes, exactly. But remember that you follow me. 
You'll lose rich young ruler, but then you'll have me. And when he imagines that, that's why there's tragedy in the story. And when he, he was disheartened by this saying, and he went away, he left, come back, sorrowful. For he had great possessions. Disheartened, the word is grief. It means he suffered great loss. It means something died. He saw for himself he was losing his safety and his security, his significance. He was, he was, all of that was like Jesus was threatening to have that, and he couldn't take it. He's, if I'm not the rich, young ruler, then who am I? I, I, can't, I can't imagine that. And so that's grieving him. And so what, but listen to what Jesus is offering him. Jesus is offering him more. He says, follow me and I can become your addiction. I am the only thing that can handle these things. I can, I'm the only one that can handle the priority. If I am first in your life, it will work. I can handle your imagination. I can be the zenith of your worship. I can endure worship. I, I am God. I can, I can do this. Control I control the universe. I can control your little life. Depend on me and you will be free. Depend on me and you will be free. So Jesus is telling him to leave that behind and redefine yourself as mine. And that's, that's the first problem. And I mean, essentially he's saying, Would, you have this idol here. Put this God down, small g, and get a real God, capital G, the maker and the creator of the universe. Let me in there. That's the first problem he has. That's the solution he has. Second problem he has is morality, right? I mean, he, I mean he's, he's financially wealthy. He's morally wealthy. And his financial wealth says, I don't know if I need to depend on God. His moral wealth makes him believe, I don't know if I need grace. I mean, friends, this, this guy is a righteous man who has done quite well, thank you, morally speaking. We would all look up to him and, and, and think that, that is a good, wholesome, righteous man. What comes with the, what is the, what is a natural, logical consequence of having an economy that says, I can, I can, I can get to heaven by being good. Okay, that's what's wrong with this man. He has a worldview, a value system, a way of keeping score that says, if I'm good enough, I can go to heaven. What is a logical, natural, of course that's what happens, consequence, if you have that value? You'll never know. You can never know. How do you know if you're moral enough? How do you know if you've gone far enough? Or am I, can I be sure? I don't know. I mean, look, what, look you can, you can, here's the point is, you can never be certain. There is no certainty with this economy, with this model, with this value, with this worldview. It's impossible to have. What does this man do? He runs to Jesus because he's in a panic, it says. And then he gets down on his knees, and he's, and he's saying, am I in? Did I make it? And this man is afraid, and friends, if you have this economy, this system, this worldview, if you think you can be good enough for God, you should be terribly afraid because this man is better than you. He's better than anyone I have ever met. He, he is a stellar, sterling human soul, and he can't know, and he didn't make it. And let me just show you how radical Jesus' answer is. You need to have this added insight. 
in, in those times, it was a, a very common uh, thought or kind of cause effect that if you were morally righteous, you became financially righteous because, because you were being rewarded by God, right? And so you can see that in the Old Testament, it's a lot of places like Abraham, Isaac, and David. So, and the more righteous you are, the more wealthy you are. So, so the, 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 the point is the disciples are saying, this is a very rich man and he's young. He has the wealth of an older man, and he got it young. It's because of all of his morality. And so if this guy, if we're keeping score by who, whoever does best gets in, this guy's absolutely got it. I mean, God's proved it by giving him all that wealth. Here's Jesus' answer. And Jesus looked around, and he said to his disciples, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Wait, what? 24, and the disciples were amazed at these words. So Jesus goes, okay, wait, I still don't think you heard me. And Jesus said again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to get through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now they are exceedingly astonished and, and, and said to him, well, then who can even be saved? And Jesus looked at him and said, with man, it's impossible, but with God, it's only impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. It's impossible for this man to make it to heaven, so it's impossible for everyone. That's, Jesus is saying, he looks down at him and loves him and says, leave that system of self-righteousness there in the dirt. You've got to change the way you look at everything. Salvation is a miracle. It is a miracle every time. The figure of speech, camel through an eye of a needle, means a camel through the eye of a needle. That's what it means. It can't happen unless God does something. And the righteous, the people that are good moral people and are disciplined and all that sort of thing, they are in extreme danger of believing that they've got it. They've made it. That's sickness. That's cancer. And that's why, see, that's an illness that's an idol as well. Your morality is an idol. And that's why Jesus says in other passages, in other situations, prostitutes and tax collectors, those are bad guys, prostitutes and tax collectors are closer to the kingdom of God than this righteous guy. Why? What's a prostitute going to believe in in ever getting to heaven? Well, she's got nothing but a miracle. I mean, that's where her hope is, right? She can't hope in good works. And Jesus is saying, okay, are you, are you hopeless yet? Yeah, I think I'm pretty hopeless. Good. Watch the miracles happen. Because that's how you get to heaven. It's miracles. It's impossible unless I step in. Jesus is saying, if you want to be a Christian, if you want eternal life, you're going to have to repent of your idol worship, and you're going to have to repent of your morality worship. You have to give up that way of thinking that God likes you because of the good stuff you've done. Intimacy comes as a miracle from God, from God to us. Remember the quote, um, the gospel is self-denial and humility. How do you get to self-denial and humility? When you fulfilled all the commandments since you were a child. You don't, you don't need grace. And Jesus says, you're in big trouble. Here's what, Je here's what you get with Jesus. Just I'm going to summarize the ledger paper. Here's what you get with Jesus. Okay, uh, you get freedom, you get certainty, and you get a great story with a miracle in it. Here's what you get if you leave it in the dirt. The second problem, he's saying, look, you get freedom. 
right? You can dance now. You don't have to labor anymore. You, you, you can have certainty. You can know absolutely for sure that you are his because that's all that, you, that's all that is of you, right? It's certainty because, it was a, because you get a story that has a miracle attached to it that's all about God, not about you. Your story isn't about you. Oh, the first part of it is where you're trying to either do good stuff, you know, and, and be, uh, right, uh, a compliant follower of God's rules, and then you get to a place where you're hopeless and realizing you're never going to make it, or you're helpless and you'll never survive this, and that's when it all opens up. That's when the story gets really good, because in your despair of hopelessness and helplessness, you say, I quit. I can't do this. I'm going to need a miracle from God, and Jesus says, I, that's what I do. I've got a crucifixion, but a resurrection story that you're going to want to hear about. And then your story becomes how you had these attributes and these values, sin and moral righteousness, and Jesus comes in from the outside, and his spirit invades your spirit, and you're transformed. So that, so that, this happens in your life, this is part of your story, so that in your days of gloom and despair, right, when there's no moon in the sky, and darkness and shadows follow you, and the voices are knocking you down, and they're telling you, you do not belong to him. You say this, it's not my story. It's his story. I get with Jesus, I get freedom, I get certainty, because I have a story of God's miraculous intervention in my life. I don't base my relationship with him on an employment review score. I base it on some adoption papers. So, I don't, I don't have to think about whether I've earned eternal life. I gave that up to follow him. This, so do you see, we have two problems. We have two solutions. This is the part that you need to hear. This is all running up to this fact, this truth, the part that most people miss. They are, they are deafened by the shell shock of sell all of your possessions and give them away. What? I hope he never says that to me. That poor guy. And then we missed, we missed the, the point. I mean, this is, this is it. This is the point. Here it is. Do not forget this. Do not ever let this leave your soul. Here it is. You never sacrifice by following Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying. You don't give up anything to be a follower of Christ. You don't, it doesn't cost you to obey. Following Jesus means obeying Jesus. Following Jesus, we like, to, oh, I would follow him anywhere because he's not here. Here's another way of saying follow Jesus, obey him. Just do what he tells you to do. Oh, it's going to hurt. It doesn't hurt. It makes you well. It doesn't cost. It gives benefits. Here's what he said. This is not my opinion. This is not the conclusion I came to. This is the point of this whole passage. This is what he says, verse 28. And then Peter began to say, see, see, see how we left everything to follow you? We've left it all. We're not like that rich guy. We have left everything. And Jesus says, you left nothing. It cost you nothing. This is all about assets. There are no liabilities in following me. Here's what he says. These are not my words. Jesus said, truly, truly in the Bible means listen. It means really. It means memorize. It means know this. Truly, truly, I say to you, 
<laughs> there is no one who has ever left a house or brothers or sisters or mothers or fathers or children or lands. I think we got everything, didn't we? Get everything? Okay. For my sake or for the sake of the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions. That's awesome. You can, you can share in, right in the sufferings of Jesus. Some of you guys are going to get to get to heaven with scars on your back. It'll be awesome. You can talk to other people about it. You get that and persecution in the age to come in eternal life. Many of the first in this place, they're going to be last. Better be careful how you keep in score. You, you, see what, you see what he's saying in these sentences here? What do you get when you, with Jesus? There are no sacrifices. There's no cost. There's only benefits. You get better. You get greater. You get magnificent. And, 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 and so you're saying, well, wait a minute, Matt. He said, sell everything. He said, said right, sell everything and give it to the poor. He did. Keep reading the sentence. He can't finish the sentence without saying, it's an upgrade. Sell everything, give it to the poor, so that you'll have rewards in heaven. He, he's saying, invest well. You're an investor. Invest well. Invest smart. Take this, like, temporal paper stuff that's going to deceive in this country. won't even exist in a few years. Take all that stuff to here and now and give it away, and you'll have eternal rewards forever in the life to come. He's saying, trade up. He can't finish the sentence without saying, trade up. It's not costing you anything to give all your stuff away. You're getting. You're getting. Here's the problem with this man. His hands are full. His hands are full with formerly great things that have been corrupted and contaminated by his own sin. What does he have? I mean, right? He, uh, he has success and he has morality. And they've gone, they've gone sour on him. And it's become idol worship of success. And, it, and it's become a way of, of thinking he can have approval with God. And, and so he's down on his, on, his, on his knees and he's wondering if he's in. He's in slavery. And Jesus is just saying, look, just leave it down there. Just leave it in the dirt. Just put it there and just leave it there. And then when you come up, I will give you, I will give you freedom and I will give you clarity. And I'm going to give you this awesome story you're going to tell everybody about. It's not about you. It's going to be about Jesus. Just leave it. Just leave it on the ground. Put it down. And when you get up, I'm going to give you stuff that you've never dreamed of. Obey me. Trade up. Follow me. Trade up. It doesn't cost. There is no sacrifice in obeying God. It, it doesn't. Some of you have been through this. Let me, let me just walk through kind of relationships, okay? Some of you have been in relationships and, and you fall in love. Well, you fall in like and you're realizing this is not the person that you should be investing soulish issues into, and you'll feel the, feel the tug of God, and he's saying, careful, I love relationships. I'm, it's not good for people to be alone, but this one's going sour. Leave it. Put it down. Oh, but it'll hurt so much. It will cost so much. For mo many people, leaving a very close relationship that is not good to marriage or not good to your health will be the hardest thing you ever leave in the dirt, and you'll think it costs so much, it hurts so much. And Jesus is saying, no, it doesn't. 
No, it doesn't. You don't know the pain you'll have if you continue, and you don't know the reward you'll receive if you leave it there. Just leave it there. Trade up. Just trade up. Husbands, it says, love your wife like Christ loved the church. Just, just follow me. That's what it means. Obey me. Love her. Cherish her first. Make her believe that she is first in your life. Lead your family. Just obey me. Oh, man, I'm so tired all the time, and you don't know what I'm doing. I don't care. I don't. It doesn't matter. It doesn't cost. It doesn't cost. It's a return on investment. There's, there's no sacrificing in being the man God wants you to be. Trade up. Leave it on the ground and trade up. Wives, you know, respect your husbands. How, just follow me. Just follow me and respect your... That's what his soul is fueled on. Just have him, when you look at him, have him see you looking up at him. And watch what happens. It's a trade-up. All you're holding on to is pride or a higher IQ or some other stuff, good stuff, turned bad stuff, and now it's ruining the potential of trading up in a great marriage. Just follow me and trade up. Some of you teenagers, listen, your parents are goofed, okay? You can ask any of your friends, okay? They are goofy. But Jesus says, follow me, and follow me means obey your parents. Just, just oh, you don't know what it's going to cost you, the, the shame at school and the embarrassment. You know what? You might lose some friends. You won't lose anyone. You won't lose anyone that won't be replaced by more and better just obey them. Leave, just trade up. That's all Jesus ever asked. Just trade up. Stop being afraid and being envious and greedy and tell that dog where to sit and where to go and trade up and see the freedom you have when you're released from that idol. Let me, let me tell you, this is the saddest story in human experience because of what could have been that's why it's so sad. I mean, we, we miss it. Sometimes we miss it because we're shocked by sell everything and give it to the poor. And we're not missing, um, the, and, and, I'm sorry, and we are missing the part where Jesus sees him in the dirt graveling, hands full of contaminated good stuff, right, that he won't let go. And he looks at him in love and says, just leave it there. I'm not asking you to sacrifice. I'm not asking you to give up anything. I'm just asking you to trade up. I mean, here's, 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 how, here's how it could read. Here's how it could read. Hey, listen, you know, I know you're rich and you're young and you kind of have power and stuff, but listen, if you just leave all that garbage behind because it's wrecking your life anyway, and you come and follow me, I want to tell you something. I only have, I got 12 disciples because there's 12 tribes of Israel and something like that, but I'm pretty sure one of these guys is not going to work out. And I want you to be on our team. I want you to be on our team. If you'll just leave that in the dirt and trade up. This story is told three times in four Gospels. Nobody mentions his name. He is nameless. He is purposeless. He's a no-count who held on to dirt instead of eternity. That's why it's a sad story. 
That's why it's tragic, because if, if he'd have gotten off that dirt and left his stuff behind and joined the 12, your kids would be memorizing his name when they're six years old in Sunday school. It's what could have been. He says, follow me, and I'll give you a new name. No one will ever call you rich young ruler again. They'll call you by the name I gave you. Here's the point of this passage. What is in your hands? What are you holding on to? Picture yourself on your knees, running to him on your knees, and you say, what, what does it mean to follow me? Follow you, Jesus. And then he says, you've got to leave that in the ground where it belongs. And I'm going to give you so much more. What are you holding on to? What could your life be? Let's not make it a sad story. Let's make it a happy one. Let's pray, all right? Lord, I'd ask that your spirit, you know, if you, Lord, I would ask that you would take kind of our condescending judgment towards this rich young ruler, and we would turn that on our own values and say, hey, your hands are pretty tied up as well. Look at you. Lord, could you show us the idols in our lives, the things that, it's, that we're so consumed by, that control us, mesmerized by, that keep us trying to be independent of you and others? God, would your spirit teach us to hate those things? Not for what they are, but what they've become. Lord, would you give us the dream of, of a story where we have nothing, but we have you, and we celebrate that. God, please help, help us leave these things and trade up and follow you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. For more information about Grace, visit our website at grace360.org.